Praise the Lord and welcome to our weekly 30-minute podcast, The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Our podcast will cover various topics that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or even controversial from a biblical perspective. We're blessed to have a team of wonderful producers who want to make each episode something that will be enjoyable and informative. During the month of April, our producers have put together great episodes that will cover a wide range of topics on mental health awareness. Today's podcast was produced by Associate Pastor Corey Bellamy. It was edited by Lady Satoya Clinton and Sister Tynika Harris Coronado. I'll be right back with our guest and today's episode. My guest for today's podcast is Evangelist Stacy McDonald of 10 years. Having a father with schizophrenia, as well as her own personal battle with depression, mental health awareness is more than her lived experience. It is her call and passion. From sharing in the lives of her congregants to counseling students and supporting families, Stacy has been touched by the resiliency of humankind. The infinite potential born from pain is nothing short of miraculous. And to be a midwife, to such encouraged her writing of the gospel of mental health to serve as an inspiring guide and workbook for anyone else who is seeking mental health from among the embers of mental hell. Evangelist Stacy McDonald, welcome to The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Thank you so much for having me. I am I'm sitting here in the studio with a copy of one of the most remarkable books that I have read and it is an autographed copy of your newly released book, The Gospel of Mental Health, From Mental Health to Mental Wellness. What an amazing book. And you you recently, you had your first book signing. How did that go? It was absolutely amazing. The love that was in the room is really what made that such a special event. The exact release date for the Gospel of Mental Health is September the 13th. So as of now, it's available for pre-order wherever books sold. Uh, But for now, I am uh, sending out copies as people request them if they would like an autographed copy. Well, fantastic. And I do want to tell our listeners, and I will also share... This was our leadership team and uh, ministry. I highly recommend your book to to everyone. What was it that inspired you to to write this inspirational guide? In the introduction, your bio, I mentioned that uh, it is more than your lived experience. It is your call and passion. What was it that inspired you to do this? I tell you what, it really was under the unctioning of the Holy Spirit. And in regard to writing this book, I didn't write this by myself. 
the Holy Spirit wrote this book with me, guided my hands. And so as a former pastor, having uh, been a shepherd of 10 years and seeing people in church and, you know, I was born in the church, raised on that pew, seeing people struggle emotionally and mentally mm. and not really being put a name to it, uh, seeing them shout over it and dance over it, attempt to, and, and simply wanting to reach out to that particular demographic and let them know this isn't something that you have to hide. Any good father would not want you hiding anything from them. A good father wants their child to come to them with the recesses of their heart, the, the deepest parts of them. And that's what God wants us to do. So really the purpose was to let the people of God know that you have a father who loves you, who gave his life for you, not for you to cover up your struggles, mm -hmm. emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, but for you to go to him with every burden that you have. In, in one of your chapters, uh, you said something to this effect, it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> and uh, chapter three is titled, just pray just isn't working. What does that mean? Because you, Stacy, you're, you're a pew baby and, and, and so am I. And for years, as I have said to some of our other guests, our congregants have been told to just pray, pray it, pray it, shout it out, jump up 10 times, turn around. By the time you get home, the Lord has fixed it. And many people discovered it didn't work. What do you, what did you mean in that chapter when you said just pray just isn't working? Well, similar to saying it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to not seek help mm -hmm. is the same way with just pray just isn't working. Faith without works is dead. And so when it comes to mental illness, uh, yes, prayer absolutely is a powerful agent to our healing. Uh, but anyone who's been sick knows that there are times that you just simply don't get that miracle. And you have to trust God with the process, which means following his lead. Um, the Bible lets us know that the sick need a physician. Mm -hmm. There are times that we are going to have to seek professional help for the, the pain that we have, especially that trauma. I don't know where we were confused in the body of Christ to think that because you're saved and experienced trauma does not mean that the trauma does not have an impact on our lives. Our body remembers all of the trauma that we've experienced from sexual abuse, physical abuse, witnessing domestic violence, if it be um, medical trauma, a wreck, all those different things have impact on us mentally and emotionally. And so there are things that we have to do on our part in order to get to a place of peace, a place of reconciliation, a place where we're able to function in life again. And so once I get up off my knees, I may need to call a therapist. I may need to start exercising. I may need to change my diet. I may need to begin journaling to process my emotions. There are things that I have to do outside of just praying. I must take some responsibility for my mental health. This temple that God has given me, I must take some responsibility in the matter. Some people have the misconception that once they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that everything in their life has been fixed by Jesus. That is, as you were talking about their, um, whatever trauma they may have experienced in life, even things that may have happened in their, in their early life, that once they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they have the joy of the Lord 
in their hearts that they don't need to worry about those those mental health issues anymore. Can you can you address that that misconception and that myth? Yes, absolutely. Uh, to to not address it, to not to think that it just goes away, uh, is dangerous because it's definitely going to bleed into other areas of our lives. Until we get a glorified body, mm-hmm. we are going to experience the effects of sin on this earth. Uh, the same way that we get a cold after we have been baptized, the flu after we've been baptized. <laughs> Cancer, after getting baptized and filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, yeah. we like to say it like that. Uh, speaking in tongues as the, other, as the Spirit of God gives utterance is the same way that we're going to have mental health struggles for those adverse childhood experiences. We call them ACEs in psychology. Mm-hmm. And the the number of ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, the higher the likelihood of mental health problems, similar to what my dad experienced that I discuss in this book. Um, And if it is not addressed, trust me, our children are going to end up suffering the consequences of it. Our relationships, our marriages, even the church at large is going to suffer the consequences of it. This isn't something that you can sweep under the rug because then it becomes septic. Our relationships become septic. The way we communicate becomes septic. So we've got to deal with that elephant in the room before its weight injures somebody. It's been an elephant, but the the stigma attached to it has, I think it has prevented us from facing the fact that it is a problem and has been a problem for many, many years within our churches, within our family, and our community, uh, especially, as you mentioned in um, this chapter about the adverse childhood experiences, I have learned, talking to people like yourself, professionals, that everything is not the devil, and everything cannot be cast out with uh, slapping oil on someone and and trying to call a demon out. And how much more harmful is that mm-hmm. for someone who has suffered the the degree of suffering that causes uh, mental health to become an issue? How much more harmful and traumatic is that than now you got somebody trying to cast a demon out of you? And the truth <laughs> of the is I've been abused. The truth of the matter is I was neglected. I wasn't fed for four and five days. The truth of the matter is uh, this is what I experienced in regard to rape or this is what I experienced in regard to a robbery. And here you are further traumatizing me by calling this thing a devil. So we've got, we've got to be able to think a little bit. I uh, certainly over the years of dealing with people, pastoring, uh, have seen people with multiple personality disorders inside of the church and they were saying the mind has such an ability to separate itself from the trauma it's enduring that it will actually, in order to save itself, set up a whole different personality. And so I'm speaking to someone uh, who is in front of me in a church environment who let me know I have multiple personality disorders. This is what I experienced as a child. This is what my psychiatrist is working with me on. And the person, the things that that person experienced was unfathomable. I mean, you could not put yourself in that person's place to even try to consider what they went through and that was that person's mind's way of saving them so we've Mm got to be so careful about throwing these uh, names around when it comes to things we don't understand and and that's why it is so important to have people like yourself who have had these lived experiences 
to help educate those of us who are pastors and spiritual leaders so that when we are teaching or preaching or just having a face-to-face meeting with various members that we don't, uh, if I can use the word, misdiagnose, which we're not supposed to diagnose people, but we don't misdiagnose people and call it something demonic and and try to cast cast it out. I'm I'm looking in your book here, and you said that you were no more than four years of age when your social conditioning began. You're very transparent about what happened with your dad, who was diagnosed as schizophrenic, and at that time, you considered your dad to be evil. How did the Lord help you? to be able to to process this and with all that you dealt with in I think you mentioned about 20 years you learned to love and to understand not to condemn him but to love him and to pray for him how did the Holy Spirit help you with that oh it took some time social conditioning uh, is, is become so embedded in us it definitely took some time but in condemning him i was condemning my own heart mm-hmm. because in making myself believe that this man just all of a sudden woke up one day and wanted to be a different person and exhibit bizarre behavior uh, there was no rationale to it and so instead it made me feel like uh, that he just did not love me or he just didn't care about me when the truth of the matter is he could not truly care about me so it took years and I really feel like the Lord brought me on this journey of even going to school becoming a psychologist working in the field that I work in being able to work with congregants in ministry um, to bring me to this place of being able to acknowledge that this is something bigger and uh, than what anyone would have ever considered it when you when I say something bigger I want us to think about our temples this is our this is what God has given us in regard to our temple and when you think about this temple that he's given us it does not take much yeah. <laughs> the Bible puts it like this we're blown away. We're here mm-hmm. one day and gone the next. Mm-hmm. And so it, it doesn't take much for us to get to the place where this temple can get out of whack. And so uh, it, the Lord had to really show me how with this temple, we can get to the place where that line between sanity and insanity becomes so close that we really have to seek some help. And that help is not just from praying and laying on of hands, but that help has to go deeper, perhaps into talk therapy, perhaps into medication, perhaps into other things. But we, we've got to be able to look at the bigger picture in these things and not just try to fantasize about what else it could be. How would one, especially a spiritual leader, advise a, a congregant, a member or a friend that they need to seek spiritual help? What is the best way to go about doing that, especially if the person is in total denial that there is an issue? How do we how do we advise that? Well, very carefully, especially if they're in denial. But I would suggest that every single spiritual leader have resources on hand, resources readily available for what is in their community and not assuming that everyone has insurance. But even those sliding scale places, having something available, suicide hotlines readily available, crisis hotlines readily available, what's in that community so that that thing can be handed out as a pamphlet. And it's 
finds that person that won't necessarily admit it. Keep praying about that thing. Don't try to shove it down their throat, uh, but making sure that in a loving way that it is addressed. All you can do is lead a horse to the water. You can't make them drink. Uh, but, but certainly presenting the water is showing love to that person. Based on your experiences, and you've got many years of experiences in this field, what are, what are some of the current trends of mental health issues that you're seeing with our school age children? Wow, it's, it is really, there, there's such an increase from pre-pandemic levels mm-hmm. to pandemic levels mm-hmm. in the school environment as it comes to anxiety as well as depression. Um, and that's for several factors. We have these students who have been within the home environment. Some of their parents have been stressed financially. Uh, maybe they've already had mental health issues and children have been subjected to that. There's been an increase in domestic violence. There's an adverse childhood experience that children are subjected to. Uh, drug abuse has increased. As a matter of fact, we've had more overdoses in our teens. It's risen exponentially since the COVID pandemic. Is that right? So there's what, now, what age, what, what age group is that? The teens, teens. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking 13 on up to 18. Jesus. It has increased exponentially from drug death. Mm-hmm. from drug overdoses. Mm-hmm. And the trends that we're seeing is not just the United States of America. These are This is a pandemic, and pandemic means worldwide. These are things that we're seeing worldwide. We're seeing an increase in mental health issues worldwide. And our schools are actually responding pretty well here in the United States, where we're increasing SEL, social-emotional learning, uh, to make sure that students have those coping skills necessary to deal with some of the trauma they're experiencing. What are some of the tools that professionals like yourself are giving children um, and parents to be able to to manage or cope with mental health issues? Well, part of it is identifying their triggers, uh, making sure that they understand what a trigger is and what a trigger is for them. Uh, And even before that, letting them know the coping strategies. If it is grounding techniques, making sure that I feel the the ground beneath my feet. I can smell what's around me. I can hear what's around me. In other words, I'm in the moment. Um, Whatever I'm imagining is outside of the moment. I'm in the moment. Teaching deep breathing and teaching it correctly, not to where a student is uh, hyperventilating, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but in through the nose, out through the mouth slowly to help them to calm in that moment. Teaching them how their body feels, to be aware of of their bodies. And I wonder if even the saints know this. We're teaching this to children, but I wonder if even the saints are aware of how their body reacts under stress. Do you know what it means when your hands become jittery? Do you know what it means when your words have difficulty coming out of your mouth? Do you know what it means when your heart begins to race and, and your face becomes sweaty or your hands become sweaty? That means that something's happening yes. outside that is affecting you internally. So teaching them to be aware of what their body is telling them uh, physically and what's going on emotionally. What is the projected long-term impact of mental illness, especially among our school age children? I don't think anyone knows that yet. This is this is so uh, fresh and so new. I think we, we will learn it. Of course, our prayer is that we are uh, trying to do enough protective factors and, and implement those now to where it will be decreased. But uh, I don't think anybody would know that answer right now. Let's talk a little about, about something else that you addressed in the book, and that is some of the uh, great men of the Bible 
mm-hmm. uh, suffered with mental health issues. And I have, until I started reading up on mental health, um, I knew that David had some issues, but I, <laughs> I never identified it as, as a mental health issue. But King Saul definitely was dealing with some type of severe mental health issue. Uh, talk a little bit about people who are in spiritual leadership roles who are suffering from mental health issues and how they can deal with it. Mm. Well, some of the things that you read in scripture, I think that we kind of romanticize it mm-hmm. rather than seeing it for what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll read this stuff. And if you actually put yourself in the situation, this is some of the scariest stuff that you've ever read. But we, but, but we, we shout and we speak in tongues and get happy off of, off of David's tragedy. <laughs> right, right, right. And so he says in Psalm 55, he says, my heart pounds in my chest. Yeah. Can you imagine feeling that way? And I've actually felt that way before. Yeah. And, and so we find ourselves in leadership and we're dealing with some of the things that David dealt with, such as fear and trembling, overwhelming. He says in verse five, I can't stop shaking. That's not the time to just start speaking in tongues. <laughs> we, my God, my God, we must reach out for help. It is available. It is readily available. And when we don't, our children see us covering this stuff up. They're watching us. They're learning from our behaviors. And and to act like it's nothing or, you know, I just need to pray this thing away is not teaching them how to deal with some of these issues that we're facing. That's the main thing I would say. Reach out for help. Every therapist needs a therapist. Mm. I say it. Every shepherd needs a therapist needs to be shepherd rather Mm -hmm. but even a therapist needs a therapist the pastor needs a therapist everyone needs someone a confident the bible talks about wise counsel someone that they can go to and talk to to help them process their emotions especially a pastor i mean my god we deal with people from very some of their their traumas traumatize us some of the things that the saints went through and i had to talk them through i had to then go to sleep that night and process that information uh simply the the stress of dealing with the whole entire church and the church growth and all those different things is stressful yeah it is stressful and so it's important that we have someone to kind of lean on and share that burden with and that's why therapy is so important what was happening with jesus in the garden of gethsemane what what, what was going on there I know you weren't. I know. I know you weren't there. But from a from a professional yeah. perspective, how would you how would you uh, describe what was going on with him mentally and emotionally? Well, the Bible speaks of him. Uh, it's it's really similar to a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And as you look at this, and we're thinking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is about to experience the most intense, agonizing pain of his life. The Bible lets us know that he starts to sweat, and the the anxiety is to such a degree that the capillaries in his skin and his veins begin to burst, and it brings like blood outside of his pores. This is the most extreme anxiety that anyone could ever experience on planet Earth. Jesus Christ was all God but he was also all man. And so we're able to see uh, both of those things in that garden. He says, nevertheless, thy will be done. But at the same time, that's a God. But at the same time, this blood is trickling from his body Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because the anxiety is so intense. He knows he's about to take on the sins of the world. He knows he's about to experience a physical pain that is beyond 
imagination. He knows what is about to happen and his body is reacting. His mind is reacting to what he's about to face. Now that's Jesus Christ. Yeah. But what makes us think, what makes us think that we would never be in a situation where we wouldn't face anxiety and we wouldn't experience stress and triggers that could cause a reaction in our own bodies. But people don't think that spiritual leaders should have to um, experience that kind of thing to where they feel overwhelmed. We're supposed to be able to, to take it and process it and deal with it. I like what you said, a pastor needs a therapist and a therapist needs a therapist. We all need, we talk to Jesus, we talk to God, but we need a human being that understands what we're going through and can help us sort through this trauma uh, because pastors, spiritual leaders are traumatized as well, sometimes by their own congregants. Yes. Yes, yes. And and not just that, I mean, think about how many funerals mm-hmm. of people that we love yeah. that we officiate. Think about uh, the, the abuse that has happened right in the household of faith where someone is in an abusive relationship and you're having to talk them down from this thing and take them to a place of peace. Think about all the different varying situations that have to be dealt with and they have to be dealt with so circumspectly. You can't make a mistake. I mean, this is somebody's life that's on the line. This is somebody's marriage that's on the line. This is somebody's uh, spiritual life that's on. I mean, there's so much at stake. We absolutely, if anybody on earth needed it, (laughs) anybody, then it's certainly a pastor. And yes, there's trauma exactly from congregants as well. Absolutely. Evangelist McDonald, do you um, see or hear spiritual leaders reaching out? on a large scale to get professional help? I don't see it on a large scale. And if so, um, it's done so secretly. And I hope that's the case. Mm -hmm. I pray that it's the case. I do feel like that um, mental health awareness is now entering into the church at a greater uh, rate than it ever has before. But as far as uh, spiritual leaders reaching out, I pray that it's secret, but, but you don't hear a whole lot about it. So someone, um, ask me a couple days ago, what are we supposed to do as spiritual leaders? Because if we're telling people that prayer works, but sometime it, it's not all that we need to do. You may need to go see a therapist. Then a congregant may say, well, I don't need a pastor. I'll just talk to a therapist. How do you respond to that? Those are two different roles completely. (laughs) Jesus put it like this. He said, the sick need a physician. The sick need a doctor. So there are times that we're going to have to see a doctor, but a therapist is not a pastor, and a pastor is not a therapist, Mm -hmm. unless a pastor is actually a practicing therapist. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are things that you're going to get from the pastor that you're not going to be able to get from the therapist, and there are things you're going to get from the therapist you're not able to get from the pastor. Uh, And so when we think about pastoring, what we're doing is we're leading souls to salvation. Uh, The therapist's goal is to help that person who's struggling internally with anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD, to get to a place of calm. But the pastor's job is to lead that person to salvation. And as they're leading them to salvation, to also become a part of the body of Christ to where they can then help others be led to salvation. That's the, the goal of the body of Christ is to increase the body of Christ, to grow the body of Christ. That's not the job of the therapist. Thank you for saying that. 
I'm of the opinion that every church should have therapists or professional Christian counselors that they are associated with so that when a member needs professional help, they have someone that they can refer that member to. I was counseling with someone, not counseling, but speaking with someone not long ago. And the person said, well, you're my, they quit their therapist. And then they said, you're my therapist. I had to correct them and let them know I am not a licensed therapist. I am not your therapist. I am your pastor. You need to go back to your therapist. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. And you know what? Our time is, has expired, but I need to ask you this. I have so many other questions for you. We've got to do this again. Um, Evangelist McDonald, what are, what are some of the ways to maintain mental wellness? Well, I think uh, there are quite a few ways. First and foremost, the underutilized is exercise. And I know this is a curse word for a whole lot of people. <laughs> as far as the church is concerned, the, the biggest exercise that we get is on a Sunday morning. Pick them up. <laughs> what is but we got to do better than that. We have to keep our heart made up. And that, isn't it amazing that God who created our bodies, put it in our bodies, the answer to anxiety and depression. If we would exercise just a few minutes per day, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference in decreasing anxiety levels and depression levels. Who knew that God already put it inside of us? Our diet speaks to a huge part of how our brain functions. The brain sympathizes with the stomach. And so when we overeat and eat the wrong things, our brain reacts with brain fog, with hyperactivity, with impulsivity. So diet has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, Journaling is a great thing. And a lot of times people think journaling, the first thing you think about is women. But David was the greatest journaler that you will ever hear about. His book, the book of Psalms, is the most read book all around the world. And what journaling does is it helps process our feelings by putting structure to them. And notice what David does is he always ends in something positive. He always yeah. ends in a praise. But he doesn't leave with putting himself in an abyss. There, there are so many tools that we have, so many things, even the Gospel of Mental Health a podcast, which can be found on a Spotify and Anchor and other leading podcasts. I have some guided relaxation and meditation there that's based in scripture that will just help us to be grounded and rooted in that moment, do some deep breathing so we can move on to the next moment. But we have a plethora of things around us. We don't have to go through this thing alone. Speaking of, speaking of meditation, what are your thoughts on mindfulness. Every self-help book that I purchase, whether it is a paper hardback or whether it's an audio book, every book that I'm coming across lately speaks to mindfulness. Is mindfulness something that believers should practice? Well, I, I think that there's Maybe some differences in perhaps the way some people do it versus the way that Christians uh, do mindfulness. So mindfulness, some people may look at that as becoming one with the cosmos. The devil is alive. That's what we're referring to. <laughs> we, are simply, <laughs> we are simply referring to being in the moment. This is what the Lord talked about. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. 
today's got enough worries of its own. And so what mindfulness does is it helps us not to think about the next day. Isn't that what anxiety does? Anxiety takes us into the future. It determines the future. It determines what's going to happen negatively. It determines that the court date is going to go wrong. The diagnosis is going wrong, going to go wrong. But mindfulness puts us back in the moment. Uh, this is the way Paul put it. He said, I want you to think on those things that are true, noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so this is what mindfulness is of the believer. It's thinking about those things that are exactly what the apostle Paul said. It's thinking about those things that are pure, that are noble, putting yourself in that moment. If there's nothing I can think about, even in my own life at that moment, it's something I can think about in the word of God that God has to say about me that is pure, that is noble, that is praiseworthy, that is upright. And so for mindfulness, for the believer, it's literally fixing our thoughts in the moment, mm -hmm. not in the future, fixing our thoughts in the moment so that we can actually be in the moment, mindful, mindful in the moment. I, I could go so much further with that because I really struggled uh, with anxiety over the years where my mind would go into the future. And so mindfulness for me, Christian-based mindfulness for me was a game changer and really being able to hone in in this moment, deep breathe in this moment, God's air, God's mm -hmm, word, mm -hmm. God's will for my life. Mm -hmm. Our our time is um, has expired and <laughs> it just wasn't enough time. So we're going to have to do this again. Um, I'm I'm hoping that we can actually get you back to Illinois. It's been many, many years since you visited yes. with us, but I, you have so much to share with us. And I'm hoping when you come that um, your books will be out. I think you said they're coming out in September and we can get some books signed and in the hands of, of some of our congregants. Are there any closing? Oh, let me ask you this before we close. I know there's hope, Pastor, but are you as a professional from what you see and hear, are you optimistic? I'm extremely optimistic. I'm extremely optimistic. I'm extremely optimistic because there is a mental health awareness that is being made voiced all around this country. <laughs> For that reason, I'm optimistic. Yes, I am. Wonderful. Friends, sometimes people don't seek out help for their mental health issues because of the stigma surrounding mental illness. When they do seek out help, they're often overwhelmed with where to find help. A good place to start would be with your primary care doctors who can connect you to mental health resources and services in the community. If you do not have a health professional who is able to assist you, there's still help and hope for you your friends, and your family. There is available emergency medical services by dialing 911. If the situation is potentially life-threatening, get immediate emergency assistance by calling 911, which is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. If you or someone you know is suicidal or in emotional distress, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Trained crises workers are available to talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Your confidential and toll-free call goes to the nearest crisis center 
in the Lifeline National Network. These centers provide crisis counseling and mental health referrals. You can contact them at 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. Pastor Stacy, do you have any closing remarks for our listeners? I would simply say, reach out. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Reach out to someone. Don't allow the enemy to make you feel as if there's something wrong with you. Reach out. There's a hand there willing to take it. Thank you so much for being with us on today's podcast. And I advise all of you that will pre-order your book, The Gospel of Mental Health, From Mental Health to Mental Wellness, written by evangelist Stacy McDonald. Well, friends, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode. We appreciate Evangelist Stacy McDonald for being our guest. Today's podcast was produced by Associate Pastor Corey Bellamy and edited by Lady Satoya Clinton and Sister Tynika Harris Coronado. Be safe, stay healthy. God bless.